Welcome back to Vibrant Visionaries. This is Heidi Bennett and I have a new friend on. I'm going to throw it right to him so he can tell you all about what he's up to. Please welcome Damien Taylor. Hey Heidi. Hi Damien. Hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. Uh, this is this is fun. Not everybody asks to talk to the, the, the creative data guy. So uh, I'm very flattered to be on it. My my work is a little bit different than the normal creative. I like to call myself a data geek with a creative soul. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love making creative things, but I like infusing data into it so that I'm when I'm doing it, I'm informed and understand what my audience likes and wants. Cool. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, a lot of the guests have been, I've had musicians on, artists, writers, cartoonists, lots of filmmakers, lots of indie filmmakers. Because a lot of them are indie folks, we're also um, people who are like, I'm this, plus I'm the marketing person, or I'm the, <laughs> you know, I'm out there pitching myself to film festivals or things like that. So that's where I think like data would come in, but maybe you can just uh, share with us a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I, one of the things that's a little bit different about what I do is we try to infuse data from the very beginning, starting with development. So that's actually even impacted how we develop something. Um, we, we test concepts, every concept before it goes up. Um, well, let me take that back. Most concepts, if it's going to cost us money, a significant amount of money, then we'll, we'll test it. If it's something that's going to cost you like a hundred bucks, and well, we just do it and see what happens, right? Um, but when it's something that's going to take a significant about a, amount of planning and money, then we'll, we'll test it first to make sure that it's really worth it. Whereas, at least in my experience, I came from studios and both big and small, digital and traditional. And there's this process where we'll make it first, spend all this money and then see if people like it. Or we'll start making it, and while we're halfway through, we'll test the concept. So you've already sort of sunk in a lot of a lot of investment and time for people. In that process, I realized there were times when that wasn't necessary. So if you think about Harry Potter's of the world and all of these these stories that came from books or from comic series or from animated series or the X Men MCU things, they all had information and data beforehand which is why studios do it because they already know the audience is there and what they like and what they don't like and so you make it it's kind of a no-brainer and a lot of times that became a really easy way sort of a shortcut to get to where they wanted to go whereas everything else that was a risk that was really risky it was really based around i just like it let's just do it and then when it didn't do well everyone would look to the data guy and say, well, why didn't you tell us it would do well? Well, you didn't ask me to test it until after you made it and then you couldn't make any changes because of that. I came across this misperception that data somehow limited creativity. And I, I would always, especially at studios, get the pushback. Look, I'm a creative, I just go with my gut, right? And that, that was a pushback. And I never understood like, how do you retort to that? What, what's the, why would I even argue with that? I totally got where people were coming from. If you think about it though, our gut is just a limited data set. It's all the experiences, all the insight, all the things that we've learned about audiences, viewers, whoever, and we take that and we synthesize it into something that says, then this thing here should work, or this thing here should be appealing for them, or this content here should be something that makes them feel X. If that's the case, then I challenge us to expand our definition of what data means. It's not just a bar chart or some tables. It's it's actually a, a synthesis of a lot of data points that help us to make better decisions. And when you're using your gut, you're essentially taking all the data that you've had from your lived experience and making a decision. 
And so what I wanted to do is to help people be able to supercharge that with additional data from the lived experiences of other people or the lived experiences and um, wants of an audience specifically so that you can still be creative, but my job is really to help. I think of it, if you're driving a car, I get to be the gauges and all the things telling you you're gonna be out of gas or you're going in this direction or all of those things, but you're the one setting the course. And that's really how I see data. You're setting the course, but you use the data to help you identify where there could be potential pitfalls. We develop content that way. We have ideas. We think they're really great, but then what we'll do first is test them out with an audience to see if the audience likes them. Do a marketing campaign with it first. And that's cheap and fast. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, this sounds like audience testing, pre, pre, pre audience testing. I love that. That's a great idea. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll create a, a marketing campaign as if it's already happening. And Netflix has done this a couple of times. Amazon used to do it and bring in actors and design posters or whatever it is. If it's animated, an animated trailer and just do that. And put it out there and see, is there any traction? Is there an audience for it? Will people be interested? And in doing so, we start to build like a mailing list and an instant marketing campaign so that further down the line, we know who to reach out to and we know who are the first people there who are most excited about it. And what we found is that it's really helpful in, in allowing us to prioritize the project because there are some that we think might be really great, but we don't know that the audience is there because until people see something, sometimes they can't really imagine it. And so what we're able to do is prioritize, well, we'll do these first because they have an audience and we know that we can make them financially viable so that we can fund these other ones which are more experimental and people may not understand the concept yet until they see it. So it allows us to be much more strategic versus doing the one that's gonna lose us money first and then we're trying to dig out of a hole to get to the thing that we know can do well for us. That was very long-winded, but that's where, where the data comes in. <laughs> No, no. I think it was really succinct. And, um, you know, I'm always practicing my listening skills and I'm just sitting here going like, okay, I'm nodding and making eye contact <laughs> with you, but I really want to like soak this in. And I know when I go back to edit this, that it's going to be very clear and that, you know, little edits, you know, are here or there just to pull out like, um, you know, the random cough or whatever, but <laughs> the information that you just shared it really made sense. And I like the car analogy. And also for creatives, I know, you know, uh, for being a creative person that when you have that data and you have the sort of parameters to work within a structure, just more information, it can help you succeed to share your project with more people. And mm -hmm. so it's really counterintuitive to want to, you know, rebel against that. I mean, obviously, I'm sure people, you know, that are driving, they can, like you said, they're making the decision of which way they want to go. So there might may be people that go, okay, I've gotten the raw data. I'm still going to ignore it and do it this way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's more power to you. And sometimes that in itself, like learning certain information can help you move in the opposite direction if you feel like, oh, well, actually, now you're telling me that the thing that I thought I wanted to create is the very opposite of what I want to create. The story that's being told that people are excited about is not quite it. It's so, so th there can be self-reflection, I guess, on the creative project, too, and like help you make decisions um, uh, whichever direction you want to go. Yeah, that sounds really super interesting. How did you get into doing what you're doing? It's funny. I've had a very interesting career path. I started off in science and medicine, but early in my career while working at a lab, I was getting ready for med school and the lab was mostly young people working and they're just out of college, um, maybe a few years out of college. And 
they were being audited for this big approval for the FDA, their first big product, and they needed someone to build them a website. And at the time, I'm going to date myself, but websites were still relatively new and not everyone knew HTML. And there wasn't this idea of, hey, you can just go to Wix or something or some plan and like make it happen. Right. And Those templates. Exactly. Can you build one? And they, they you're a young kid. Can you build one? They asked my coworker and I, because we were two of the youngest guys there and we were like, yeah, sure, we can build one. And then every day we stay at work until 3 a.m. reading a book and <laughs> building a website and discovered that we really loved marketing. And so I, I did that for a while and then went back to business school and started doing marketing. And during that time, did a lot of reflection about what is it that you really want to do? Because I, I realized that as much as I loved medicine, I didn't like the, like, we're going to drill you into their ground piece. I wanted to see my family. I wanted to spend time with my friends. And med school wouldn't have allowed me to do that. And so I wanted to make sure that I could I could do something that really served a passion point. And I realized that there were three things that I was really, really passionate about. Oh, there we go. There's a really gleeful child in the background. <laughs> awesome. Um, I love it. But I, I, I realized it was fashion, technology, and entertainment were the three things that I really loved because they were mindless. But I was really good at data. At the time, I didn't consider myself very creative. I, I had performed music, but I didn't create anything. I, you give me the instructions and I'll do it, right? But making something, I was like, I don't know what to do. And I figured out, well, all of those seem to need data in some way, and I'm really good with numbers. So why don't I try to go in those? And then I discovered that entertainment and technology at that point, this was like early 2000s, were merging. And I wanted to be at the forefront of that entertainment and technology are going to merge and they both need data this is great and so was born my career <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's that's something i mention a lot on this podcast is to always go back to what your values are what your passions are what this is kind of a broken record thing of like you know do what you love and it will come to you and it can be scary to do that especially when you're like does does my job exist? Am I making a whole cloth new position? And, you know, but time and again, there's these unconventional, unique, most jobs that any of us are doing now didn't exist when you were, you know, working with your career counselor in high school or something, right? Like nothing, my husband does front end web development and I do coaching for creatives. I do podcasting. I do community management online. Mm -hmm. Like none of these would have existed. <laughs> exactly. If you told someone about community management 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, they'd look at you and what are you talking? What? That, that doesn't make any sense. Are you going to a, a city? And no, 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 no. It's online. <laughs> and then people really, their heads poof, would explode. Right. So. I mean, right now is a perfect example of you being able to be at home and, you know, have lunch with your kid and go, you know, spend time with them and, and enjoy life, do things that not only come, come to you easily in that they're things you enjoy doing, but then you're just, you can bring so much more energy to projects when you're like, this is what I like to do. Let me get into the data, but I'm also a creative person. And, you know, so you can speak the language of the people that you you're working with. So you're not coming in just, you know, like stereotypically, if you were on a, you know, a TV show, or, you know, if you're on Silicon Valley or something, you know, you'd be this unrelatable nerd, right? But you've got the creativity <laughs> nerd, which is a great, yeah, a great asset right now, right? It's so funny, you mentioned Silicon Valley. Um, 
I was actually referenced several times, not in the show, but my, my friends in it work. They, they always were like, oh, you're not the Silicon Valley guy. Like, we, we watched that show and you're not that guy. Um, and I was always denoted, even amongst my, my colleagues in the, in the industry, as being the, you're not the normal data guy. Um, you're not like the rest of us. Everyone was kind of reclusive and quiet and just into numbers. And um, the, the difficulty with some of that was that there wasn't the ability, to your point, to communicate what does this mean? They were like, 50% of people say blah, 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 and then they'd walk out and people were just left looking like, what, what, well, what do I do with that? The one thing that I, I did that was probably really hard and scary at the beginning, but now I feel more comfortable with it is I wanted to put myself in a position so I could understand where creatives were coming from, what they were doing and why they were doing it and what made it hard. And in doing so, I was better able to then speak to data and things that made sense that were actionable for them versus just giving them a number. So if I tell you, 50% of your audience drops off at this point. What does that mean? Why do I care? Um, but what I can tell you is when this happens, when these two characters argue, people leave the video and we try to figure out who was leaving and we find out it was this specific audience. Well, it's because they like this character and they don't like that the argument was berating them or whatever that was. So now I can speak to it and you can leave that and that's fine. It's a creative decision, but sometimes you may want to implied or maybe you shorten the argument because people are there for the first minute and it goes on for three minutes or maybe it's just too much of an argument but I could give them those things that are actually tactically relevant to what you do versus just giving you a number and kind of here's your paper you got a chart I gotta go that made a big difference just once I understood what it felt like to be on the other side receiving that because there's also the emotional piece of you're working and you're putting yourself into this creative and it's hard to take that criticism. It's like someone telling you your baby's ugly. You're just like, oh, no, right. right? But I worked so hard on this. And so it it really helps to understand that don't ask people to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. And so in doing that, I learned a lot about just the process and the industry and how to better relate to people. And some people still are like, yep, thank you. That was really helpful. Still going to ignore it. But at least now they, they had something tangible that they could work with yeah yeah in language that they understand yeah i mean just out of sort of fun or just sort of the nature of the way i am and my husband actually will be watching things and sort of assessing them you know in like the first couple <laughs> minutes right like is this grabbing me who's the who's the person we're we're attracted to and want to follow their journey and i started a, a, a <laughs> series on netflix just yesterday or the day before I forget where I just put it on and in the first two minutes I was like this person's awful <laughs> and no thank you like even if they're gonna die in the you know five minutes from now I don't want to mm -hmm. listen to them for two more seconds like they're just a terrible mm -hmm. person and it was actually somebody that was going to be remaining on the series so I was like why did you start with this person like the most this you know antagonistic you know snarky jerky mm -hmm. yeah that does work maybe if it is like a horror movie and you're thinking like all right i can't wait till this person dies in eight <laughs> minutes but um <laughs> i could see how especially in this short attention span world how important those first few moments like i actually have a i have a friend who has a podcast called beyond six seconds and the title is part of that like okay if you can get beyond those first six seconds of the impression you make with somebody then really get to know them on a deeper level and there's so much art and entertainment out there to consume i mean to a level that i'm like i guess i'll start this 
two years from now, you know, maybe I'll end up watching <laughs> the show, you know, or how many streaming options there are to get, whether it's podcasts or, you know, TV or film or whatever, like there's so much. So having um, that edge to, to have the data, I, I can see how important that would be. Oh, definitely. And that beyond six seconds piece is super important. I mean, you, you manage social media, so you know, we have a lot of clients that ask us to help them figure out strategy and what's working and what isn't. And depending on the platform, well, actually, regardless of the platform, those first few seconds are, are huge. If someone doesn't get what's going to happen and you don't really hook them in those first six seconds, they're on to the next thing, especially in feed-based platforms. But even before that, you're the image you use for the thumbnail and the title have to be so strong because you might not even get them for the first six seconds. They might just scroll past it because oh, this doesn't look interesting. Um, and even if you think of how like Netflix and Amazon are set up, it's the same thing. If it doesn't look appealing, then people just scroll past it. That's why they started putting the trailers up at the beginning when you log in. And, but being able to really break down all of those elements to their, their most essential, which is what does the audience care about? Is, is critical. And at the end of the day, that's really where my focus, my company's focus is, is what does the audience care about? What do they want? And once we realize that that's the, the end goal, um, sometimes we start with an audience. We've done this before where we, we've had an advertiser or a brand that wants to sponsor something and they'll give us the, this persona of who the person is. And instead of doing the normal, like, oh, great, we'll do this branded blah, blah, blah. We'll look to see, well, what does this audience care about? What are they watching? Why do they care about it? and create something based out of that. It may not necessarily be that the brand did whatever. It may actually just be something that they care about and then you have that brand associated with it and it's kind of quiet in the corner. And, and that conversation now becomes, this brand is there and it's prevalent, but now it's associated with something that I like or I believe in or I think that is great. And it's a much stickier premise than, now I'm gonna tell you about my brand and look at look how cool this is. And it may look cool, but if they don't care about it, then no one's going to act. That's really been a freeing revelation for us. It's the audience first, and it allows us to now play with expectations. The audience is expecting one thing, and we know that, so we're gonna intentionally misdirect them sometimes. You can do those things now once you know what the rules are so you can break them. At least with the way we've been developing, they feel like they're a part of the process. When we're creating something, sharing a snippet of it, or behind the scenes, or giving you some insight and trying to do talks with the people behind it because people really do care about how did it how did the sauces get made right <laughs> like who was doing definitely, that definitely definitely yeah on so many levels like i think when i think about you know marketing that works on me how is this making me feel the quick thing to do is just put a cute puppy or a cute <laughs> kitty right like we all know that's going to activate a lot of people right but you know, and I hear the word transparency over and over and over again, everywhere in all the spaces that I work in. Like, <laughs> they want us to be transparent. It's not just a buzzword, like, but there is a certain amount of behind the scenes, like you said, or, or a certain like authenticity, right? Like that could either mm -hmm. totally work or totally be like, this is bullshit. These people are trying so hard to be authentic. It's, it's mm -hmm. like a total load of crap. So, um, and there's products that I like where I go like, I know I'm just reacting to the design on this bottle. You know, this design is gorgeous <laughs> and I have no idea what the product is inside, but it's so beautiful. I want it on my vanity, right? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's definitely it. And 
it's funny you mentioned transparency and authenticity. Those are the buzzwords that are flying around and data gets tossed in with that. Understand your audience so you can be more authentic and transparent. And it becomes this mirage of that where it's feigned authenticity and transparency and so then people start to rebel against it. What we're really trying to do is make the experience essentially what it should be, what the audience is looking for. It's a two-way conversation. It's not the we're on send and you're just receiving. It's we're giving you something. You're telling us what you like or don't like. We're taking that in and doing something with it and then saying this is what we've done with what you've told us and then you're saying yes I appreciate that or here's more feedback and it goes back and forth and that's I think where you get the transparency versus sometimes it's just I'm on send and even if that absolute terms are technically you're on send because they can't talk to you when they're listening to a recorded podcast right but when you come back and the conversations that you continue to have or the types of conversations that you have or the way you express yourself are usually a reflection of well this is what people want to know about and this is what's helping people or this is what people are really interested in you start to cater the content in that sense so that you're you're answering that need and for a lot of companies especially more established ones that's a really hard thing to do it's really scary it means you have to admit that you're not perfect and very few people want to do that i mean myself included right but then there comes a point to where it's scary and you try it and sometimes you fail and sometimes it's not as bad as you thought it would be i I have an episode on one of our podcasts. Um, we have a diversity podcast um, called Professional Confession, where we talk about issues of diversity, but we also talk about positive things that happen in the world of diversity. And one of them is actually a personal story. And I was really scared to share it. I, I didn't want to share it. Not so much because I it wasn't a, a story worth telling, but it I didn't want it to be perceived as me bellyaching about a problem that wasn't there. This one was actually about sexism in the workplace and the first time that I discovered or felt it myself, right? I'm a, I'm a guy, that's not something that I'm used to. And so just being sort of a cisgender male in the workplace environment, sexism is not something that's usually top of mind for me to be on the receiving end of. And I, I had a case where there was a boss that I had who was a woman and she was clearly very sexist towards the men in our group and blatantly so. And I, I told that story and it wasn't to make myself a victim. It was really more because it made me realize the benefits that I received as a result of being a man, that I didn't even have to think about it. The fact that I had never experienced it and didn't have to think about it until then was something. But that was a story where I, before I released that podcast episode, it's, I made all my close friends listen to it. I made my wife listen to it. <laughs> Should I do this? And then even before I hit publish, I, it was... Uh, do it maybe i'll just unpublish it it was it was really nerve-wracking and that's what authenticity really is and i it was there was a great response to, to that episode but it also was uncomfortable and if you're really truly being vulnerable and authentic it, it gets uncomfortable and even in creativity with the stories that you're covering it gets uncomfortable and we're trying to do that with the content that we're creating um in all of our content we're talking about social themes and that's what art does, right? It reflects the society within which it's created. Some of them are touchy and sensitive themes and topics. Some of them are just nonsensical and fun things, but whatever we're doing, we're, we're talking about those themes. And as a creative, I, I realize you start to put your a reflection of yourself or the world that you've seen in there. And so that's why people tend to take their art so personally, especially when it's critiqued. It's because you've literally put some of yourself into it and it's tricky and it's uncomfortable. But the more you do it and the braver you become, I think the more interesting thing is that, at least for, for me personally, is that in these stories when someone doesn't like it or has a critique about it, 
I'm at a point to where I can say that's okay. It wasn't made for you in particular, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be made for you. Everyone doesn't have to like it. But the people who do respond positively and who it does resonate with are just as worth the conversation as focusing on that one negative or those two negatives or however many negatives there are, right? It's something where there, there actually has to be a, a conviction or a true belief or passion behind it. And if, when there isn't, what I've discovered is it, it shows up, the audience knows. You'll even hear it in the data where, oh, yeah, this was just a money grab or they just needed a sequel for blah, blah, blah. And people know that. I mean, when it's not real, it's not real. Yeah. And then when it is real, right to the core, it makes you the money. It gives you the spotlight. It, it gives you loyal mm-hmm. fans, rabid fans that talk mm-hmm. about and share what it is you're doing and it creates conversation and so i it's so interesting to listen to you talk about this because it's something that's sort of running in the background for me the reason i feel like it's always running in the background is because i just enjoy sort of looking at what clicks or i mean when i see things or hear you know great podcasts or whatever like i i am the sharer you know i am like the rabid Mm -hmm. fan i am posting you know and that's why uh podcasting and like um going to film festivals and covering those like because when i see a creative person and or see an amazing piece of work like i love shouting to the rooftop like oh my god you guys Mm -hmm. have to check this out it's amazing so (laughs) really uh fun to um just go oh i have a platform like i have a podcast i have a youtube channel i can share what excites me and people compliment me on my taste and my oh you make the best you know mixes for music for parties and stuff like that so i'm like <laughs> i gotta share it all you know and, it, and it's fun it becomes natural and so so what else um as we kind of wrap up today's conversation what else would you like to share about any project? Like I know you have podcasts. Um, what Anything that you want to share specifically for people to go check out or tune into? Yeah, I'm super excited. So this last year, we really dove really deeply into sci-fi and fantasy, mostly because my business partner and I love sci-fi and fantasy. We're obsessed. But we also love animation. So we, we have an animated pilot coming out called Tech Witch. And it's based on our podcast, also called Tech Witch. Um, you can find it anywhere. Hopefully where it looks like we might be getting some distribution, fingers crossed, knocking on wood. But I think it'll be fun. People will, will, will enjoy it. It's mixing two of my favorite things, magic and technology. So um, imagine witches that can control technology. That's a, a new spin. And awesome. yeah, check that out. It's super fun. And it, it's meant to be kind of tongue in cheek. And there's a, a, a brother and sister dynamic in there that anyone who has siblings will definitely relate to. Awesome. That sounds great. Tech Witch, the podcast, people can find that anywhere. Anywhere else in particular you want to point people to? For anything else, I think that the best place to find us, interestingly enough, has been just, you can look up our LinkedIn page for our company, Prometheus Digital Studio, because yeah, we we have all of our updates and everything on on there. We were doing it on our website, but people seem to keep going to our LinkedIn. So um, it gets more updated than our website does. (laughs) (laughs) You got to go where the data tells you to go. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Damien. It's been just, just so much fun to talk with you today on this. Thank you so much, Heidi. I'm so glad we got to connect. This was so fun. Yeah. Like I said, I'll share that all in the show notes and uh, yeah. Ciao for now. Bye. 
All right, that wraps up another episode of the Vibrant Visionaries podcast. You can find all episodes of Vibrant Visionaries at vibrantvisionaries.com and the YouTube channel, Vibrant Visionaries Network. I'll have a link in the show notes for that too. Lately, I've been sharing some of my vintage cookbooks. I've got recipes. I did a taste test of hot sauces. So there's a little bit more food-related content over there on the YouTube channel and a few interviews as well. Stay tuned for interviews from the Chattanooga Film Festival, and I'll be celebrating four years of Vibrant Visionaries in a very special episode where I'm interviewed by frequent collaborator and guest Jarf. So stay tuned for all sorts of good stuff. This has been Heidi Bennett, and ciao for now. Ciao for now.